This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, of course, Samson Folk, and today joined by a very special guest. Myself, I, I really like watching basketball all the time, and I'm sure lots of you guys do as well, but also sometimes you have to go past that. And even before I started writing and podcasting, I always wanted to find videos of what players were doing. And a lot of the times you'll just find run-of-the-mill highlight packages. And they won't be specialized or specific. They'll just be player X, put the ball in the bucket. However many times, here's every basket. But the guy I'm having on today, a a pioneer of sorts, I would say, in the YouTube uh, (laughs) highlight package landscape, Evan Guaberto, a guy who made specified and specific specialized packages. So when you're looking at Brandon Clark, for example, and you see, oh, wow, he's got a really good floater game. Evan is like, hey, I got you, man. I'll put every floater this guy has ever made in sequence into a video. And you're like, oh, wow, Kyle Lowry, all those charges. He's like, hey, I got that too. Fred Van Vliet, really sticky, good off-ball defender. He's like, hey, got you, man. Evan, thank you for putting together so many important videos over these years. But thank you for coming on. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I just want to thank you. That's There'd be no podcast if I was speechless, but, you know, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, I've I've always been, I've enjoyed your videos for a long time. And so not only does it allow me to watch something that I've noticed myself and perhaps see it to the fullest extent, for example, coming out with this podcast, you have the Raptors, I've talked about on this podcast a million times, but the hammer action that they love to run with one of usually Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, or sometimes Fred Van Vliet running down the right wing. They run the hammer action on the opposite side for one of Fred Van Vliet or Norm Powell usually. You made a video for that just so us Raptors fans can enjoy it. But also, when I see a video of yours come out, it can illuminate something a player's doing that I had no idea he was doing. How do you notice these things, and what makes you take the initiative like, okay, I'm going to make a video on this? Um, Thank you, first of all. Um... So I think the process starts because I just, I generally watch film, I'm, I'm watching games, um, I'm catching highlights wherever I can, um, and so generally I start to see things that are developing, 
mostly because um, I coach a little bit too. So when I see certain sets that I like, I, I try to see if I can find a clip of it or try and just grab some paper, scribble it down, see what I, you know, write down what I saw and, you know, go from there. And for the most part, it's check out on you. I am browsing on YouTube and see that a video of this particular player or this particular action hasn't been made yet. And then I start to think, oh, okay, well, I feel like I could have a pretty good take on that. And so that's largely why I make these videos. And so I have a question that's kind of interesting for me, but interesting for the listener as well is I have people message me quite a bit on Twitter or email me and ask about how do you start watching basketball so that you can recognize sets? You know what I mean? Because that isn't always apparent to people who are watching. They just see, okay, it's a fluid action that's happening on the floor constantly, stimuli is reacting, but rarely can they pick out like, oh, they're running horns action right now. Okay, oh, they're running a hammer play. Oh, right. this is an elevator play. You know, oh, there's a hawk screen on the right side of the floor, that type of stuff. How did you start watching basketball and recognizing stuff like that? Did it require a lot of work? I would say that, I, well, I started watching basketball to study it as a player. And so I would always try and pick up on pet moves and things like that. But after a while, you get into, the, the more you watch basketball, that's, a kind of boring answer but the more you watch basketball the more you start understanding of it and um, I would say the biggest thing to start doing when you're watching basketball is to stop paying attention to the ball because if you're paying attention to the player with the ball chances are well you're definitely missing out on you know the other nine players on the floor and so in terms of particular sets or actions, it's so uh, Fred Van Vliet, Norm Powell, Kyle Lowry, they, I've noticed, they take a bunch of shots in the corner. And so one of the things I started to do is start paying attention to where the ball is, where the ball is being passed from. Because for Norm and Fred anyway, um, because Kyle loves that um, left corner, stepping back with his right foot three-pointer over a contesting big. He just, he just seems to really enjoy that shot. For, for Fred and Norm, they almost always are catching it on the move with a big in their vicinity setting a screen for them. And so one of the reasons why I found that hammer play was because... Marc Gasol, Chris Boucher, even Serge, Pascal, they are setting those screens and then you notice where the ball is coming from and for those hammer plays, the ball is coming from the opposite side of the floor. And so, you know, you look at it in parts, where the ball is caught from, where the pass is coming from, what the other players are doing, and then after a while, you start to put it together and you see... Okay, so it's this action and this action. And for a while, I didn't really know what the plays were called. And, but that, and that requires a little more of a deep dive into it. But, you know, it's, it's a sort of boring answer. But you just have to keep watching and you pick up on things. Well, no, I think that's of great utility is something that 
I know a contemporary of mine, Blake Murphy, he's tried his hand at not ever watching the ball for certain pieces that he's written over the past couple of years. There'll be a piece that'll come out and say, I didn't watch the ball really in this game. This is what was happening elsewhere on the floor. And there's a lot of utility in seeing what's happening elsewhere. And you brought up Kyle Lowry, who I'd like to talk about with you, kind of a master of playing off ball, both on offense and on defense. His relocation, for example, on offense is legendary. It's not quite Steph Curry level, but he's very active off ball. It's kind of what helped DeMar DeRozan take strides and make strides as a playmaker so many years ago. And to the point where DeMar DeRozan is one of the most proficient three-point creators in the league. He creates a lot of looks for his teammates at this point now. Started with Kyle Lowry. And defensively, Kyle Lowry, really, really cerebral defender as far as how he operates on the back line or as a weak side defender. Really good at conducting traffic. And I wanted to parallel him with a player that I know you like a lot, Marcus Smart. What crossovers do you see between their two games? Well, I mean, just from a number standpoint, they, they are on the floor just creating havoc no matter where they are defensively. You know, offensively, they shoot a lot of threes um, for their teams. But, I mean, talking about the defensive end is sort of something I enjoy more. And I would say that I've never really thought about parallels between the two of them. But there are very many in that they are organizers of their team. They're the defensive leaders. Marcus Smart, nobody can really bully him in the post. Same with Kyle Lowry. I did a video for each of them where... Kyle is guarding Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on switches in the post, and they're not really going anywhere. And Marcus Smart, the same. So I think that the ability to switch onto bigs, be a ball hawk, be an off-ball organizer defensively, I mean, Kyle is, what, 33-34, and Marcus is in his mid-20s, but they're very, very similar. Is there an aspect of that type of ball hawk, defensive organizer, great in switchability that's underrated. For example, Pascal Siakam this year, just to make it Raptor-centric. We are on a Raptors podcast, I suppose. Of course. Pascal Siakam, a middling year as a one-on-one defender this year. In isolation, below 50th percentile. In years past, that's actually been much higher. And for stretches, he is a pretty impacting and affecting ISO defender. Mm -hmm. OG Ananobi and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, let's say, on the Raptors, both above 90th percentile. Actually, I think both above the 95th percentile as isolation defenders. But also, Pascal Siakam, I think this year, was nearly as good a defender as OG Ananobi just because of his coverage and his speed in the defense. But I think a lot of times, we, when we're watching the game, appeal to one-on-one defenders as those are the guys who are really putting in the work. Do you think that team defenders are underrated in the NBA landscape? Absolutely. By, by fans, most certainly. Because I think the reason I made that video about Kyle Lowry is that when you look at him, he is, he's a solid defender. You know, he chases guys through screens. He is relentless in his effort. But and, and people have noticed more his charge-taking, right? But the way Pascal and Kyle, and especially a guy like Marc Gasol, the way they are able to cover for their teammates' mistakes because they know the schemes well, 
the way they are able to get guys to the spots they need to go, it's, it, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I think that's why when Marcus Smart was hurt this year, um, the Celtics, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just from the eye test, I feel as if the Celtics took a bit of a step back because you don't have that guy covering for your mistakes. Um, I'm going to pick your brain really quick just on mm-hmm. something organically that's come up for me. As far as the Siakam-Tatum thing, are you a big Tatum guy? In the beginning, I I held off on it just because, well, from before this season, his shot selection wasn't really something I thought was all that great. But he has excelled at, he has taken the next step. So I would say that Tatum above Siakam in terms of in terms of his rise, um, I'm a bigger fan of Tatum's offensive game. I think his defensive game right now is a little underrated and overlooked. Yeah. But then again, you know he is the the Raptors have so very many weapons, um, and Siakam is just I would say that they are of equal value to their teams. Um, and before this season, I would have said I would definitely have been a bigger Siakam fan, but right now I'm in the Jason Tatum camp in terms of his ability to play make, especially off the dribble. Siakam's not quite there yet. He's grown so much, but I don't think he's quite at the level where when things get bogged down like they did for the Raptors last year, you know, just give the ball, just give the ball to Kawhi and let him go. I don't quite think Siakam is as close to Tatum is to that point yet. Yeah, and the framework of Siakam's game probably makes it a little bit tougher for him to just naturally progress into a three-level scorer, whereas Tatum, that progression now that he's added a little bit of discipline to his shot selection, that progression looks really natural. Like, that's something that will very, very effortlessly come now is that he's able to get into the mid-range, make things work from there. As you know, he was an insane pull-up artist for the latter half of the year. Like his pull-up three-pointer. And Marcus Smart as well. Marcus Smart is a really, really good pull-up shooter and strangely a really bad catch and shooter, which is one of the rare things that happens in the NBA. But Marcus Smart is one of those guys. I mean, technically, a better pull-up three-point shooter than Kyle Lowry this year. As insane as that sounds, a better pull-up three-point shooter than Fred Van Vliet was this year. Both crazy things, and the Celtics supercharged with pull-up three-pointers, I suppose. But I was wondering, because that is kind of... At the top end of the Eastern Conference, there's the Bucks, And everybody knows the Bucks are the Bucks. Giannis is... Defensive Player of the Year, right. he's MVP, he's been everything. He's fantastic. And Middleton is a wonderful running mate. Brooke Lopez also has his hat in the ring for Defensive Player of the Year. He's been fantastic. Absolutely. But as far as the the 2-3, the Celtics conversations, I think Kemba has had you know a good year as a scoring guard, but it's clear that Tatum has ascended to that first spot. Now for the Raptors... Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, who's more important at this time is maybe that's a tough question to answer. But at the very least, the optics of fandom says that Siakam's the guy. So Tatum and Siakam are constantly being pitted against each other. And in my top 100, I put uh, Tatum over Siakam. But I I just wanted to hear your opinion on that because I think it is one of the hot button topics of the 
the top of the Eastern Conference. All I was going to say was, um, in terms of defense especially, is that, uh, you know, if you, if you think about all defensive teams, things like that, the Raptors might end up getting dinged a lot just because everybody who Nick Nurse throws out on the floor is a B-plus or better type of defender, especially um, in his schemes. Whereas, you know, if, like, Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, they, well, they're room protectors, so I guess that doesn't really count. But, you know, guys who guard big wings, um, Marcus Smart especially, not that he doesn't deserve to be an all-defensive first-team player, he, his defense is so, so very important because you don't have a Marc Gasol or a Serge Ibaka or even a Pascal Siakam or, you know, a, a Chris Boucher um, back there. Do you up. like Tice, though? Tice has been good this year, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I love Daniel Tice, but, you know, it's not... When, when you take Tice off the floor, Grant Williams has also been a very good player for the Celtics um, as, a, as a help defender especially. But if you take those guys off the floor, it's... and obvious. So Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Daniel Tice, they're very good together. And you take any of those guys off, there's, there's, there's a bit of slippage. Whereas if Marcus all comes off and you bring Serge Ibaka on, um, you know, if they're not playing together, you have so much length for the Raptors that it's just they, there's so much. I was thinking about it and it was disappointing to me that maybe there might not be a Raptor or two on the all-defensive team because they're very deserving, but they're so good as a team that, you know, the individual recognition is taking a hit. Yeah, that's something that uh, Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz talked about when they were picking their all-NBA defensive teams on the low post is Zach Lowe, I don't think, even had a Raptor on his. And, for example, Kevin Arnovitz, he put Kyle Lowry first team. And I thought... Well, that's very like a very journalist pick. I think it's a very blog boy pick. Is okay. I'm putting Kyle Lowry first team all NBA defense, but that doesn't make that much sense to me. I love Kyle Lowry. I think I properly rate his defense, of which he's a very good player on that end. Right. But OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, I think this year both were definitely better. Marcus All as well. Marcus All was a genius defensively right. this year, but he's been injured for so long that I don't think he really it doesn't apply for him. But right. I think that OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, like you said, fitting into a similar well, they'd be voted for against each other definitely takes away because I think that a lot of people aren't sure how to properly rate Toronto's defenders. Because right. on the one hand, it seems like the Raptors' strength is that there is no weak point. They're switchable, they're diligent, they're intelligent, and they work really hard. And the thing is about last year that made them really strong against the Bucks, against the 76ers, is that if you do get that switch that you wanted, it's not like getting a switch onto, for example, the Warriors always got picked on with Steph Curry. Right. They always hunted that switch with Steph Curry. 
with the Raptors, you couldn't really hunt any type of switch because if you got the switch on Siakam last year, then you went up against Leonard. Even <laughs> Marcus Saul, when he was hedging against Steph Curry, super active hands, caused right. lots of turnovers, things like that. There wasn't a weak point to attack. And so if you're not giving up that weak point initially, the back end of the defense doesn't re- really devolve into madness, which, as we see, may be spurred on by the beautiful game Spurs, is that once you start moving the back end of the defense, that side-top-side action to the other side, you're getting the best shots you could ever hope for. You're getting those really nice corner threes. You're getting guys who can sneak in off the baseline for layups. And the Raptors, they don't give up a lot of the really, really good corner three looks. They don't give up a lot of those easy looks because they don't have to to give up anything at any one point or another. And so I think that's like the point you're making. It makes it hard to look at one player and say, this guy is making the Raptors defense go. Like you could with Gobert, for example. Gobert is the clear pillar of the Jazz defense. Right. Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, two of the pillars of the Miami Heat defense. Well, Anthony Davis for the Lakers defense, really good. Dwight Howard as well. But with the Raptors, I think maybe because not enough people watch them, a little bit of that, but also it's it's tough to look at that collection of players and say, okay, we're going to pick two guys here and it's going to happen. But if I had right. to guess, I, I think that they'll probably receive nobody on either all-NBA defense team. If I had to predict it, what do you think? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Do you have a, a rough draft of who you think might get picked? You don't have to pick the teams completely, but do you have any guys that you're locked in and you think these guys will definitely be picked for the all NBA defense team? I was thinking about it the other day. I don't, you know, I'm not a voter. Um, so my question for you is, is Ben Simmons guard eligible? Because if um, he is, then, you know, that unlocks a whole bunch of things. Well, that's yeah, that's an interesting thing. I'm not sure what they do for that because I know that journalists can lobby on behalf of how they want to vote. Right. And they can ask them to change how people are being viewed. But I would think that Simmons would be guard eligible, I think. Hmm. So, I mean, if I had to name six right now, I'd... I don't know. That's the other thing, too, is... So, I would say, just off the top of my head, it's... Giannis is obviously in there, because, you know... When it's happened in the past, where the defensive player of the year is on all-defense second team, it's, it's been a travesty. Um, so, Giannis... Kawhi would be my second defense first team forward. And then Ben Simmons definitely belongs on there. I believe you wrote he was a top five defender. Um, I, I agree think so. with that. I he's, agree with he's that. He's incredible, man. He's crazy. I think, and then you know, depending if Anthony Davis is center eligible, then I think that Anthony Davis, um, mostly on the back of what he did early in the season, I think he makes it in. If he doesn't. Rudy Gobert, certainly. And the other first-team guard, I'd have to give a lot of thought to. My my gut says Marcus Smart, but I'd have to look at all the names. I think Marcus Smart probably will get a nod for first-team. He's just... It's been a really big year for him. Right. Guys like Drew Holiday have fallen off, 
as far as notoriety, not necessarily his defense, but it's just the Pelicans haven't been spurred on as a popular team until Zion came back. So Drew, there hasn't been a lot of eyeballs on his defense this year, even though I think Drew is the best point guard defender in the league. I, I don't know if he's a better defender overall than than Marcus Smart. They're really close there, but I think as far as point guard defender, Drew is that guy. But yeah, the, I think definitely Davis, Gobert, Giannis. I don't know how they could get left off. I think it'll just be those guys for sure. As far as the rest of the, the players, not super sure, but I'm going to swing us into something since we're talking about, oh yeah, Simmons as well. And Simmons <laughs> spurs this on, but there are basically, there's, Excluding Embiid, because Embiid is a singular force. He was he almost overthrew the Raptors that went on to win last year by himself. Right. The on-off numbers are insane for that series. <laughs> I think he was a plus 93 over seven games. He was like a plus 12 in game seven where he only didn't play like four minutes. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. And so Embiid is his own thing, a singular force. But... There's four big men at the top of the Eastern Conference, and those are Demonis Sabonis, Bam Adebayo, Ben Simmons, and Pascal Siakam. And they are somewhat young. You know, Pascal Siakam being 26, Simmons obviously being much younger than that, Bam Adebayo also the youngest, but Sabonis, Siakam, well, Siakam's the oldest by quite a bit, but the other three fairly young as well. And those guys, I think, are always pitted against each other in conversation. There's been a lot of Twitter sphere conversation about a looming, perhaps, Pascal Siakam, Bam Adebayo matchup, about how Bam Adebayo... Well, basically, Heat fans like to suggest that Adebayo is going to eat anybody up who, who comes at him on the court. But mostly, I wanted to talk about these four players because I think they're really interesting. And I wanted to rank them because why not rank players? Of course. In three different categories with you. First... The post-up of those four players, how would you rank them one through four? For post-ups, that's... Well, I would say that the first thing that jumps to mind is Sabonis' post-up... Excuse me. Sabonis' post-ups are essential to the Pacers. They are the hub of a lot of things they like to do. Um, So I would say... From a purely how much they go to him in the post, in the classic sense of he's on one of the low blocks, throwing the ball, and then that's how um, plays are made out of that. It would be Sabonis. I know that um, Bam likes to orchestrate a lot from the high post nowadays, and he's very, very good at that. But... I would say I would take Ben Simmons over Bam. Sorry. So I would say Sabonis, Pascal, Ben Simmons, and then Bam. Just from Pascal has gotten very, very good at on a switch. He'll put back a guard down on a, with a mismatch. He'll face up. He'll blow by. You saw this quite a bit against Draymond Green in the finals. I would say Sabonis... Siakam, Simmons, bam. This is, I'm glad you answered it in the way you did because this is the most interesting aspect of this conversation is it's not just about getting your shot. Right. Like if we're talking about guys who are really good at just flat, 
like a little flash cut into a post up. Simmons and Siakam are probably the most effective in that type of play. But as you mentioned, the Pacers use Sabonis as a hub to run screens off of, to run handoffs, to run a bunch of stuff. There's the danger of his playmaking. Plus, he's able to score, bash his way in for baby hooks, and what else? Right. And Bam Adebayo, as you said, in the high post, they like to run a lot of action with him too. And both Sabonis and Adebayo are really clever passes, passers in that play type. Simmons, probably the best passer of the four, but yes. not in that op- doesn't have opportunities for that that much. When he right. gets his way into the post, most of the time he's trying to get to the bucket, mostly because he's able to a lot of the time. And oh, Siakam... Siakam is very, very effective as a post scorer. And so trying to rank those four guys is really interesting, really difficult as well. But I think you hit the mark. And before before we step on to the next one, when you're watching these clips back, do you ever find that the NBA advanced stats tracking data doesn't really match up? For example, when I was doing that OG piece that we talked about before we started recording, I noticed that he was much better in post-ups as far as scoring, then NBA.com slash stats would have you believe. And you wonder, for example, you're talking about Pascal Siakam, how he switches out a face-up and right. into strictly back-down positions. And sometimes on a switch, let's say he beats the hedge, he comes over and he sees a guy that he can now post up. Is that registered as an ISO? Is that registered as a post-up? Is it registered as both? I don't know how NBA.com delineates what's happening there. Do you ever find that there's kind of this, it's separated a little bit? Do you ever see that? Absolutely. So when I'm trying to figure out um, certain things about a video, specifics about is this, is this a spot where a guy likes to score from, his post-up numbers, things like exactly like you said, they don't exactly make it clear what is and what isn't and you know so i mean it is it is hard the thing i'm thinking about just from what you were saying was pick and rolls is when they are handoffs when they if they're pin downs that turn into a pick and roll type of action um that those type of things those are ones where i'm i watch the i watch film on NBA stats it's it all kind of gets jumbled together and so I I would love if a site like cleaning glass which is a great resource for anybody out there cleaning if if they had video to the level that NBA stats did I think that would be you know through I, I would I would live on that site I think Yeah, Clean the Glass is a great site for sure. Yeah, it is interesting you bring up like the pin down because it's nebulous. The pin down becomes the pick and roll. The pitch play pick and roll operates, you know, the functionality of it is basically the same as a dribble handoff, except it's extended a little bit more. A drag screen in transition, is that a pick and roll or is that just a screen play? What is... How do they how do they decide which is which and what what's picking this up? You know what I right. mean? Like what is it what is the let's say computer deciding how does it delineate what's going on? It's always been super fascinating to me. I will say too, if I, if I can just add, the Celtics love 
running this sort of double drag screen action where yes. the first guy hits and normally it's Daniel Tice, he, he'll slip and it's a double drag screen so it should register as a, a pick and roll, I guess, but he never actually sets the screen, he, he always slips because the first screen has created such an advantage that, you know, I'd love to see if that can be tracked a certain way. Yeah, also staggered screens. I know the Celtics, they run a lot of staggered screen action for Hayward to get Hayward kind of into the middle of the floor where he's really good as a passer and he's been one of the best mid-range shooters. How do they how do they register that stuff? There's also kind of a... There was a, a double drag screen that was supposed to happen for the Raptors. I put that clip on my Twitter. But Siakam flipped it and then they turned it into this kind of bastardized Spain pick and roll and it turned into a lob play for Siakam because he used Surge as the screen. Right. Or sorry, not Siakam. Um, OG flipped the screen and then ran to the rim and put Tatum on, on the screen. But it's I wonder how they ever try and figure that out. It's obviously not an absolute science. But of course. I know people, myself included sometimes, in my pieces, I'll appeal to what NBA.com is telling me. And, you know, you dive right. into it more and more. You're kind of like... Well, that's not the truth anymore. What, like, what the hell's going on here? Absolutely right. It's the old, um, it's the old thing of I, t- I talk to different coaches, and some t- where they do keep stats is sometimes they'll register a swipe down as a player is going up as a steal, sometimes as a block. It's it's you know it's kind of that at a much more advanced level. It's they what is the fine line between this and that? It's dependent on who's looking at it, yeah. Yeah, when I was watching every single one of OG's shots, a lot of the times he got stripped in the lane, it bounces off of his foot and out of bounds. That's a turnover, not a missed shot. But it's registered as a missed shot. And most of the time, that was being identified in home games. So I think the, the product of that is that the stack keepers at home would rather tag OG Ananobi with a missed shot than a turnover. Right. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like who is the player? Well, a lot of players over time, Grievous Vasquez when he when he was with New Orleans is a good example where the stat keepers he had really really high assist numbers all year. And you get those stat keepers who award assists after quite a long time after the ball has been passed. <laughs> and so how we collect these statistics is always it's certainly not perfect. And even I'm not the harbinger of you know, looking at it objectively, because I guess maybe even the way I'm watching OG, my interpretation of a play could be marginally different than, say, yours, if you're going through the stuff as well. I agree. It's, you know, if a more uniform way of doing things is hard to ask for just because there's, it's, it's as you've already said, it's, it's very inexact. And, you know, NBA coaches, especially on the offensive end they'll mask a lot of action and so it will appear to be one thing but it's really to get you into this to get you into what their real action is and you know it's all deception and things like that and when maybe stat guys become more next level in terms of their watching and they have a sort of universal way to recognize what is and what isn't a certain type of thing then Maybe it will be more clear, but it's it's fun to look at it and be like, 
that's not what that is and you know <laughs> get upset about it for a second and then talk about it at length on a podcast but absolutely i'll switch us into the next category for our aforementioned four all-star forwards pascal siakam ben simmons bam Adebayo, and demonis sabonis defense and i think this one is fairly easy because there's a clear top and there's a clear <laughs> bottom it's yes. only in the middle that there's some stipulations so what do you have for those four guys i would say as as We've already talked about Ben Simmons is a world-class, on a different level type of defender. In my video recently, I, I tried to exclude plays where you know players scored on him, but there were some sections there where I just had to. So there was one specific, two specific video clips come to mind where Ben Simmons is um, the guarding the pick-and-roll ball handler, and they switch. And he ends up on the big, and the big tries to back him down for a post-up. And the two specific instances I'm thinking of are LaMarcus Aldridge and Nikola Jokic. And there's just, you know, LaMarcus is a big, strong dude. He's trying to throw his shoulder, trying to bump him. Same with Jokic, and Ben just isn't moving. And so I believe for the Aldridge clip, Simmons strips him. For the Jokic clip, he does not, Jokic can't move, and so he has to kick it out. And, you know, I try to keep all my videos under 10 minutes, but I had, to, I had to exclude that. But basically, the play blew up because Jokic couldn't get to where he wanted to go. So, it's Ben Simmons by far. In terms of switchability, I would say that I, I, like, I like what Bam does, but... I would rank Siakam over him simply wow. because you just got a lot of fans on the podcast. That was the hot button issue for the whole thing. <laughs> I got to say, <laughs> you know, if I were on a different type of podcast, maybe it would change, but no, I, <laughs> I genuinely, because I watch, I have watched a lot of heat and I have watched a surprising amount of Raptors, even though it's not the easiest thing to get access to where, you know, where I live. But Siakam is, he can guard every position reasonably well, and he's a lot quicker, I think, in his recognition reaction time, whereas Bam is, nobody's going to get around him, but that's because he is so long and so strong, and um, some of the off-ball stuff, well, I will say that I don't think Bam has the type of assignments that Pascal does because while Bam can guard one through five, he is not routinely put on ones, twos, however you want to. He can, when he switches onto them, they aren't going anywhere. But Pascal, if you look at the many different assignments he gets night to night, I, I would say I'd give it to him over Bam. And then, of course, um, Sabonis has improved with his footwork and his lateral speed and all those things but you know when you talk about Ben Simmons, Pascal Siakam, bam it's it's okay to come in fourth to those guys. I'm glad you highlighted the difference between Adebayo and Siakam as far as how they're utilized because I think that is a super important point to make is that Siakam for example last year 
for the second half of the second game they played against the Thunder, he guarded Russell Westbrook on nearly every action. They just decided, hey, guess what, Pascal, you're going to guard Westbrook. And OG was on Paul George. And Kawhi Leonard was playing Rover. That's what they wanted to do for that game, so that's what they did. And right. you look at Bam Adebayo is never going to draw Russell Westbrook. Even in the before Pascal ascended to pseudo all-star level last year and then pseudo stardom this year, they put Pascal Siakam on John Wall in that 2017 first-round playoff series. It's an interesting feature of Pascal Siakam, whereas Bam Adebayo may be closer to something like a Chris Bosh where his hedging and switchability in a lot of pick-and-roll actions, he'll blow up a lot of those actions. But right. it's never the ideal function to have him switch and to play a certain way or be matched up on a certain guy. It's just that as far as his reactions when he's put in those types of plays, really overwhelmingly athletic, super aggressive, and so he blows up a lot of those plays, whereas Siakam is just used in a lot more ways. And right. Siakam a lot of the time, is towards the back end of actions, whereas Adebayo is involved in a lot just because of how he's featured in the in the heat offense, and that, or sorry, heat defense. And that's yes. because they have to try and do that. They have to center him closer to a lot of the action because of Duncan Robinson's presence, because of Kendrick Nunn, whereas the Raptors don't have those types of weak links defensively, so they don't have to try and always keep Pascal Siakam near the center of the defense so that he can always be there to help. They kind of let him do his own thing all the time on the back end. And so I think that's an important delineation to make, an important difference to point out. But I do agree with you. I would put Siakam ahead of Bam Adebayo, but only slightly. And Adebayo can certainly, he can surpass Siakam at some point. I, I don't think that's too far of a stretch. Absolutely. He is he's terrifying, terrifying to watch as a, you know, if you see him, well, I've never, but if you imagine yourself as the ball handler or in any type of action where Bam is not on you and then he switches onto you, you just, it's, it's lights out. It's, I yeah. would give up, if I were, if that switch happens, I'm, I'm giving up the ball, running weak side, you know, that's just how it goes. Well, that's, you would get locked into his knees. You, an escape dribble wouldn't let you escape. It's Absolutely. like it's that intense, it's that physical, and it's because I, um, for example, I played a decent level of basketball, and the best basketball I ever played was at college tryouts. And so you'd get the, and not big time colleges, but just small Canadian college tryouts, and you'd get the, I'm 17 years old, I'm headed out there, I'm trying to get, you know, like a little scholarship, trying to work my way up, and right. You get a guy who's 23 from a JUCO in the States looking to lock up a scholarship at this small Canadian college, and he's a beast, like an absolute beast. I'm skinny. I haven't developed into my body, and I catch the ball, and I'm in triple threat. They're locked in. Their hand is on my hip, and it's like, okay, I can't even escape this with an escape rope. Like The <laughs> athleticism is so rapid. The strength disparity is so large. And that's because I'm a kid at that point. And maybe right. that's what the point is. Adebayo makes guards he switches onto feel like children. I think that's probably what's happening there. Absolutely. He, you know, if you look through any story of him, he's, he's the hardest worker in any gym. He seeks to break every weight room record. 
things like that. It's just he is on you, and there is nothing you can do to get him off you. But, yeah. Okay. Last one. We're talking about shot creation. So this does come back around to what we talked about with posts up is how potent are they at creating shots outside of their own ability to shoot in the post up. So now it's full time shot creation. What does their profile look like and what they're able to create for themselves and for their teammates? And so we still Ben Simmons, Demonis Sabonis, Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam. And the cool thing about these four players is that they are all impressive at creating shots, but in different ways, each and every one of them. How would you rank them? So I would say that I think it's important to say because, you know, as I've said before, Sabonis being number four on this list is no slight on him. It's just the other three are just superstars or ascending superstars and the like. In terms of how important they are to their team, I would say that Sabonis and his ability to make shots is, especially with Victor Oladipo being out, the Malcolm Brogdon addition this season has been great for them. But I think that Sabonis is the most important... No, I actually can't say that because what Bam does is... Also, I would say Sabonis, what he does offensively is if he doesn't get it going and he can't create shots for others out of that, you know, when he's playing in the post or at the, high, at the elbow just, and playmaking, the Pacers stagnate. That being said, he is, again, number four. Um, ben Simmons <laughs> is... Ben, I, I love Demonte Sabonis, but, you know, when you look at these other guys, you just... I, ben Simmons is... His vision is unreal. There is no... You know, he, if LeBron calls himself the king, um, Ben Simmons, Fresh Prince, or whatever he calls himself, he, he deserves that title because he makes passes that I... I just, I wonder how, why, you know? It's, I'm a big fan of Steve Nash. I modeled my game after Steve Nash growing up. I just, and I see a lot of the passes that NBA players make. But when Ben Simmons does it, he does it at such a different level because of, because of his height, you know, because of his strength. It's just, he's, he's number one. And then I would say that, the interesting part to me about this conversation is that, like I said, Bam is very, very important to Miami. He, his ability to grab and go, push the ball, and early DHOs to Duncan Robinson, who doesn't need that much space anyway, that's, that's practically automatic. When he plays out of the high post and guards are cutting around him. You know, I believe I read it on your top 100 that he is the least um, dangerous part of the five-man lineup out there, and that's only because of his unselfishness. Um, and I 100% agree with that, is that with everything operating around him, he is looking to make the right play instead of, you know, being 
selfish and just going, even though he might have a mismatch to exploit. Now, that's not to say he doesn't exploit those mismatches. He just is looking for the right play first instead of, I'm going to go at my guy because this is a mistake that, he, that they have him on me. So in that sense, I would say he is more important than Pascal. But I, would, I don't know. I would have to say they're tied, I guess, in terms of creating shots for themselves and for others. I was going to say that in terms of creating shots for himself, Pascal is, is better. Um, and he's grown by leaps and bounds. It, if you look at the variance of where he is set up on offense or where he ends up to attack, it's, it's all over the place. And that's a testament to how much he has grown. But I would say that in terms of creating for others, Bam is better. And in that sense, I would say they're you know, tied underneath Ben Simmons and well above Sabonis. Because so, I don't really know. I'm glad we have some disparity. So just I'll get into why I rank them this way, but I would have Siakam, Simmons, Adebayo, Sabonis. And so, but it is, I'm glad you pointed out that mm-hmm. there is that change in how they're used. Once again, is that Siakam, one of the top five in usage in isolation possessions this year, which I'm pretty sure nobody could have seen coming, but the Raptors perhaps trying to avoid and mitigate, you know, you talked about how bogged down the Raptors offense got at times last year and how Kawhi Leonard had to be a creator and a savior going for his own shot, not creating for others, but just getting to his spots and hitting shots to kind of drag the Raptors offense out of the mud at times last year and in the playoffs as well, especially in that Philly series. You look at the Raptors this year, even though Pascal Siakam is very potent as a screener or being involved as a ball handler with a screener, they have kind of been reluctant to use him in that spot during the regular season. Right. So this year, the functionality of what they wanted him to be was just go score. And then you see towards the end of games where the Raptors have the number two clutch offense, second to the fantastic three-guard lineup in Oklahoma City, which is so much fun. <laughs> And is great shooter, Shea Gilgis Alexander and uh, Chris Paul as well. And of course, Steven Adams and Gallo. Regardless, though, the Raptors are really good clutch offense. Far less isolation for Pascal when things matter. He gets a lot more usage as a screener. And he gets a lot more post-ups to which he draws doubles and has to make passes and decisions out of that. So I think in my head, and this is biased, of course, mm-hmm. is that I view Siakam as the idealized version towards the end of games. You know, the rest of the game is super important because usually you win the game during the majority of the game, not just in clutch time, of course. But I see Siakam ideally as the guy who can pass nearly at the level that Adebayo can, although I'd still give Adebayo the edge 100% at this point. But I think Siakam is a comparable passer, but definitely not as good but just isn't asked to do so as much just because of the makeup of the team. So while I do agree, Adebayo is better at creating chances for his teammates, as is Simmons. I think Siakam, as far as creating for himself, is head and shoulders above the rest of the guys. So that's why I put him first, and that's why I put uh, Simmons and Adebayo second and third. How do you feel about that? Any contentions? None at all, I would say, just because, you know, 
in terms of um, basketball is you know a five man it's a it's a strong it's a strong link game is you know it if your best player is better than any other player you can you can go far and you can hide the weaknesses Pascal Siakam um, what he is asked to do is it's it's on a different level because you know Joel Embiid lives is in Philadelphia and so Simmons's role is it's it's not necessarily mitigated, but having Embiid there, it, it solves a lot of problems for Philly, and you or you can throw the ball to him in the post and go from there. Whereas, you know, Pascal's gro- his growth as a player and as a scorer is really great for the Raptors because it's not like they really have a guy who can go just get you a bucket outside of Pascal. Sometimes it's Mark, sometimes it's Kyle, but and more and more, Norm and Fred are are getting their stuff. But you know, it, when you think of the playoffs and the game slowing down, and especially last year, like I said, is Siakam can do it in so many different ways that I, I don't mind that he's ranked above Simmons in the, in this respect because you know, if things aren't going for Ben, they have Joe. If things aren't going for Pascal, they can look elsewhere, but it's not going to be as effective. Oh, I was just going to say same with Bam and you know Jimmy Butler um, in Miami. That's it. Yeah, to think about just tossing it into Joel Embiid is easier to do than for the Raptors if Siakam, they're not really getting any of the, any of the isolation looks that they typically like to get with him. They have to start working in probably some split action, some corner offense with Gasol, or they have to deliberately move to more pick and rolls with Kyle Lowry and decision making that way. It's not as simple as just, okay, we can throw it down to Joel Embiid to just go get us a bucket. There are some certain checks and balances they have to go through to shift things over. And they're constantly, and thank God Kyle Lowry is there because he's great at making the calls on the fly. But it's not as easy as just giving it to a guy and having him create. There's, it, they need a cohesion for the Raptors to create buckets outside of outside of Pascal Siakam. Even though Kyle Lowry this year has been, I think, very good at drawing fouls. And he's been pretty good at getting into the lane, where that seemed to be trending away recently. But this year made a resurgence. But I think that's a great place to drop the to drop the top four power forward conversation now that Ben Simmons has been included as such um, officially (laughs) by the 76ers. We'll take a break and then uh, we'll answer some Twitter questions once we're back. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right, listener, get ready to hear an ad. Here's the scenario. You're injured in a collision and your insurance company is denying your claim. It happens far too often. If it happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. My team and I work for people just like you. We don't accept cases on behalf of insurance companies, so you and your family can make sure that you're in good hands. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Get Goldfinger today. Welcome back. Still listening to Samson Folk, joined by Evan Guaberto, talking about basketball, lots of different things that are going on, and enjoying ourselves hope you enjoyed the ad but we're here to talk about some twitter questions i sent out a tweet 
asking people to ask questions for Evan and myself. And we got a few back. One from Fuzzy Dunlop at Roz underscore leg. How goes the process of finding the go-to moves of a player? What's more difficult, determining a player's go-to move or finding the clips that match it? Lastly, can we get a Hakeem compilation? I know it's a tough request considering the amount of available <laughs> clips. Evan, how do you do it? Okay, so, well, first, the Hakeem thing, I would love to. I got to say that as a player, I would I found clips of Hakeem. Uh, I watched it, his footwork, it's dizzying, it's fantastic. And I would love to do a video. I, if there, there's enough footage um, and more, certainly more footage becomes available and is in better quality, and when that comes out, I scoop it up and I process it and stuff like that. But I'm not quite at the level where I'm comfortable in terms of the quality of the footage and things like that. I would love to. Um, Hopefully one day down the road. As for the go-to moves thing, it's a chicken and the egg situation, actually, with um, you know determining a player's go-to move versus finding clips that match it. Because sometimes I go out searching for clips to put together after watching a game, seeing a highlight, and sometimes I am gathering materials. Um, and then stumble upon it. Like, um, a good example would be Brandon Clark, who we talked about earlier. Um, I think John Morant is one of the most electric players in the league. Um, But going through his film, I kept seeing Brandon Clark do his thing, and then, you know, I sort of had enough material to make a Brandon Clark video. And then... I saw, while, while going through Brandon Clark video, I found his floater was, it's just, it's so polished. And so, so you know, I cheated and had both a general video for Brandon Clark and a floater video for him. I was just going to say, Pascal Siakam, going into halfway through last season, or, you know, the season they had, the season the Raptors had Kawhi, because... It's, it feels like eight years ago that the most recent season uh, stopped. But So I started with the plan of making a Pascal Siakam spin move video. And Samson, I've told you this. It's just, you know, there's, there's just so much um, of his spin move. So many different clips out there that, you know, it, it may be dizzy to, like, try and sort through it. So I actually have not made a Pascal Siakam spin move video even though that's why I, that's what I set out to make, um, but I did end up with a general video for him. You know, it was just my luck that I was gathering clips for him, and he had the most improved player award season that he did. So, it's it's that. I I can agree with that definitely. It's when I was doing my research for the top one hundred, and I was thinking, obviously you want to have at least one significant anecdote about each player. Otherwise, you could just be, you know, a lot of players are very similar in how they achieve things. A lot of players are from the same archetype, prototype, and they 
score in similar ways. You know, the, the NBA has become efficient in some ways, and that's made role players kind of streamlined. So if there's, let's say, six really fantastic role players in the NBA, and you want each of them to have a unique write-up besides just the name being changed, you kind of have to find those little quirks and rhythms in their game. Rashawn Holmes, who is, I think, a vastly underrated center, he's very, very good. I noticed that, too, when I was just watching his film. I was like, oh, what the hell? And then you go and you <laughs> reference his shooting percentages, and you're like, oh, this guy is also one of those big men who is just unbelievably with the floater. Only his isn't beautiful like Brandon Clark's. His is super ugly. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> weird shot. But then you say, and I'm not in the business of cutting together highlight clips, but if I were, I would have noticed it that way. Like just watching Rashawn Holmes do his thing and this strange pop shot keeps appearing everywhere. What the hell's with this pop shot? But it's really good. So it goes in all the time. So there's tons of film on it because you're not going to find a bunch of film of him missing the pop shot, not unless you're directly looking for that. So I'd agree. I think it just happens organically. And this goes back to probably where we started the conversation is noticing, noticing things and watching basketball specifically to notice things and working on being able to identify things that way. That's, that's what I've noticed for myself. Yeah. I mean, also too, that's, I think I might have hit on this, but that's why I started my YouTube channel is because I wanted people to see things that I saw. And, you know, if it, if there's not a video already out there, then, chances are I have, I have thought about making it. And if a video comes out that's that feels like it's better than mine, then I just, you know, I'll save the materials for maybe something else down the road. <laughs> Next Twitter question from Matt Chance. Well, actually, sorry, it's Matt Chance. M underscore Chance. Is there a particular player or team that stands out in regards to bench celebrations for highlight videos? Because, again, as we said, you're not watching the ball. You're watching elsewhere. Does this pertain to off-the-court celebrations? Sometimes, you know, as long as the offensive action is on, as long as the bench reaction is on the same side as the offensive side of the action. But um, that's interesting. I would say that this seems like a strange answer but i have watched a lot of washington mystics and their bench goes wild i don't know if it's very well known in the non-wnba world but the mystics had probably the most fun bench last year during um on-court when there were technical issues off the court, there would be breaks in the games and the Mystics would host dance-offs with the other team benches and things like that. And so it's a byproduct of me going to a lot of Mystics games and seeing them in person. But I would say they're my number one. My number two, probably any team that has Jared Dudley. Just because <laughs> the the Lakers are an entertaining bench group this season. Last season, he was, I believe he was with Brooklyn, and they, clips of them went viral, and things like that. And as I've already said, I'm a huge Steve Nash fan. In 2010, when Jared, Jared Dudley was on the team, 
they went to the Western Conference Finals that whole year. Well, I watch, I used to watch Suns games religiously anyway, but watching the 2010 Suns bench mob, they were great. So any Jared Dudley team. The, the Raptors are fun. Uh, I have noticed, because I've been, I did a deep dive into Norm Powell, and I'm going to do a video on that, that every time Norm dunks on somebody, they get up. It's not exactly the most exciting thing, but they do the head tap, and Kyle is great, especially when he's in street clothes. Kyle is great at bench celebrations. So... There's that. Kyle is one of the the most fun players in the league. For too long has the the conventional wisdom around him been that he's unexciting. I think a lot of people have come to appreciate Kyle and just what he brings to the floor. That's actually um, news that will be released next week. But um, I'm writing. I wrote something really interesting about the duality of man and uh, LeBron James and Kyle Lowry. But that's will huh. be released. In a week or so, I should say. But anybody who follows me on Twitter will definitely hear about it. Regardless, though, um, do you have any WNBA players that kind of are under the radar that you think I should be paying more attention to? Well, I am a huge fan of Sue Bird. She's she's ageless. Diana Tar- Obviously, Diana Taurasi is um, a super on everyone's radar in terms of when they think of WNBA, WNBA players, but somehow she's still underrated. People, people talk about... When, when people talk about basketball, Dana Taurasi should be one of the names that comes to mind because if you go back and watch her, I've been looking to make a video on her for ages. It's just there's never been quite enough video out there for me. Um, the Chicago Sky, um, phew, Diamonds, I always have trouble. Diamonds, Diamond DeShields? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Diamond, Diamond DeShields of the Chicago Sky, and she's out for this upcoming season, but Kelsey Plum of the Las Vegas Aces, I, I love watching both of their games. They're, they're great. Yeah, that's a, well, that's a good list. I like the point you make about uh, Diana Taurasi. I think that, yes, her her accomplishments should put her in the pantheon of great basketball players and not defined by gender, just great basketball players. And so I'll swing us into the last thing that we'll talk about before I let you get out of here. And thank you so kindly for your time. But do you have any players in mind that you think will make the largest jump in the playoffs? Because this this does happen. And as we talked about before, there's a bit of disparity in how we view Ben Simmons and Pascal Siakam just between the two of us. Right. But how they perform in the upcoming playoffs will likely, likely, wow, an extra synonym <laughs> <so> <laughs> for everyone, will likely help either of our cases, at least in one way or the other. One of them will perform better than expected or worse than expected. Maybe both of them better than expected, but one more than the other. But right. it'll be a proving ground. Are there any players that you have in mind that you think this will be their proving ground and they'll take that next step? Well, I don't want people to think I'm just sucking up, but Norm Powell, you know, I've seen, I've seen his highlights. He's the pin-down king. He's king of pin-downs. Pin he is, absolutely. But what, going through his film, I was going through some film for the Hammer 
set video that I made. But as as I've said, when you when you're watching film, sometimes you'll see something that you weren't necessarily looking for, and then you'll you'll want to go jump into that. I was watching Norm Powell, and his his finishing has always been there, but his stroke looks like he's not gonna miss a shot. His the the way he gets involved in so many different ways on offense is great. When he first came into the league, I thought he was an athletic player who, you know, if he makes his shots, could be a solid rotation guy. But the different types of shots he takes and the way he he can attack going in different directions is is interesting to me. And I think that he will... If he plays well in the playoffs, then I think people are going to start talking about him and wonder why they weren't looking at him, you know, from the start of the season. But he's been remarkably efficient, like 50-40-84 splits, has weathered two injuries this year. The game he comes back from, the two times he had to return from injury, he scored over 20 points in both games. He's been, like like you said, his, his footwork and his finishing has definitely come along. I mean, I, I've written about this at length, but last year when he wasn't doing so well, I wrote about how he needs to change how he attacks, that he doesn't change speeds, that he's always at one speed. He's always taking the exact same steps to the rim, which makes him really easy to track for help right. side defenders. It makes him really easy to play help side defense on. And now he has a floater that he can kind of counter with. He, he's better at side steps. He finishes with both hands better. And he's much better at sizing up the back end of the defense for when he does attack. So it's not just hard charging, trying to get the ball to the glass before the help side defense comes. There's a lot more strategy in how he attacks. And last year we saw that start to happen, and that was great. That was the finishing. This year, his footwork when he's working off of pin downs, split action, much better. The way you navigate those situations with your feet does a lot of work for how you're able to get open on those plays and how he's able to feign coming over top and then slide back to get those corner three-pointers or kind of really slowly come over the top and then burst as soon as he's catching the ball. It's all dependent on how the defense is playing him, and he's become exceptional, I think, as a read-and-react player in getting his own jump shot to where he was better at being a read-and-react read weak-side attacker. For example, the, the Buck series where he was... Uh, a really good weak side attacker in that game. But I think now he's just really good at reading and reacting. It doesn't matter if he's a tertiary option or the ideal option for the play that the Raptors are running. He's made massive strides in being able to get his shots efficiently and effectively. Absolutely. And one of the things I'd like to point out is that his give-and-go game, when he, you know, he'll, he'll start downhill his head is down, you think, well, maybe not you, but I think that it's going to end up in a charge or a turnover because he's just going head like head down into traffic. He'll stop, kick the ball out, relocate, and then get a shot that way. It's, you know, it's not something I saw in his game any earlier than... It, it's grown so much based on what I've, what I've seen earlier. And I have noticed one of the other things that he likes to do a lot is that when he... He'll drive right, and he'll 
he'll finish um, he'll finish with his left hand, or he'll hard drive left and extend seemingly across his the ball extends across his body certainly to finish right. It's it's interesting, and I think that it it does have to do with his athleticism, but it also has a lot to do with him reading the backside of the defense. And that's that's one of the biggest things that anybody can do is that there's a lot of players who you see they have that that great first step, that initial explosion, but a lot of their attempts at the rim are they just aren't open. They aren't easy. For example, John Morant, something he needs to get much better at. He's he's wonderful. Like I love John Morant. I wrote about him in his top one hundred about how his his bounce off of help side defenders in air is kind of like a double jump in Mario. And he is a marvel. <laughs> he's a marvel to watch. His in air creativity is second to none. Same with Trey Young. But Trey Young, for example, is much better at keeping the help side defense at bay while he's getting downhill. John Morant still has to figure that out. So once he does, trying to keep, you know, defenses who are trying to keep John Morant under wraps. Just a good help side defender won't be enough because he's manipulating the defense as a whole. But Norman Powell, certainly not as high a ceiling as John Morant, but very big steps, very interesting player. And I like that you highlighted him as somebody who who could have a big step in the playoff because the Raptors, no doubt, will need somebody to step forward as an offensive option. I think right. that... Um, if they want to, if they want to go as far as they can, if they want to try and get back into the finals, I think Norman Powell's ascension will be a, a big part of that. Absolutely. Well, Evan, it has been an absolute pleasure, but I'll let you get out of here. But before doing so, the floor is yours. Plug whatever you like. Tell the people what they should be watching, what they should be doing, whatever it ends up being. Floor is yours, my guy. Oh well, I appreciate that. First of all, thank you for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure. If I'm not talking hoops here, I'm talking hoops with anybody who's willing to listen. So you can reach me um, on Twitter. It's at Evan underscore Gual. That's E-V-I-N underscore G-U-A-L. And my YouTube channel is Evan Gualberto. It's my name. It's E-V-I-N-G-U-A-L-B-E-R-T-O. You know, if you like what you see then let me know if you have any requests let me know because you know i love doing this and i love sharing basketball i love watching it i love breaking it down so i'm always game for a conversation all right and listener just to make it a little bit more simplistic for you links to his stuff will be available on twitter along with this podcast and on raptorsrepublic.com evan a huge thank you to coming on man thank you All right, and listener, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? 
In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.